This is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and welcome to my podcast series, The Voice of Leadership. Hello, today I'd like to share with you some ideas on how to thrive in business during a recession. And I say that to say, really, how to survive in business, no matter what's going on around you, no matter what the bigger economy may signal. In other words, there are success strategies for every time, and there are some analyses that you can do on an ongoing basis to help you make decisions about how to stay profitable no matter what the season may be. And I'll say this, that success is intentional, and it requires a proactive and a creative plan in order for you to realize the fruits of success. So number one, I would say take stock of your business. This means conduct an internal audit. There are some things you need to know about yourself as a business. It's like taking your temperature to see how healthy you are. Are you having a fever right now? Perhaps something is not quite in the ideal or optimal zone. When you take stock of your business, you'll have an opportunity to identify those issues and to take corrective action. So this is more of an internal audit part one here. So first of all, you want to ask, what is it that we are especially good at in our business? Where are we the best? Where are we really in our zone of genius? When times get hard, you don't want to be in a position where you're competing with people who are very good at something. They've been doing it for a long time. They're successful. They're the go-to people, and you have no clue how to do whatever that is. You, too, want to operate in your zone of genius. So you want to spend some time figuring out, well, what's on that list of what we are particularly good at? It could be a number of things. However, it's not going to be everything that's out there. So go for the areas where you have deep knowledge, expertise, and excellence. Those are the things you want to focus on. Then you want to ask yourself, of the products where we have this excellence, this expertise where we know what we're doing and where maybe we're one of the best in the industry, which of our products, which of our services are the most profitable or which ones are profitable? And you want to run the numbers to figure that out. You might think something is profitable and in reality, it's not profitable. So make sure you know in reality, that it is a profitable service or profitable product. Again, when times get challenging, when times get difficult, you don't want to be investing a lot of time in something that's bringing you no real rate of return. 
So you also want to ask yourself, what is it that we want to do in the future? Maybe there's an opportunity in whatever times we're in, even if it looks like a recession, it may be an opportunity to double down on something you've always wanted to do, an opportunity to bring something to market that you know you're good at and that people are really going to need in the future. So you ask yourself, what do we want to do? That question, of course, is coupled with what are we good at? And you're also saying what's profitable. So all three of those are important. Then another question is, what are the products or services in our mix right now that are weighing us down? They're weighing you down because they're not profitable. Maybe they're too difficult to produce. There's no economy of scale with doing whatever it is. It's too much effort for too little benefit. And when times are tough, those kind of projects are very expensive to do if you're not going to get much benefit anyway. And there's a lot of hassle factor with it. In essence, you may be losing more money in tough times than you would be in good times. Sometimes in good times, we can do some things that may not be in the sweet spot, and engage in some activities that are less profitable because we've got more margin. We have the bandwidth to absorb those kinds of investments. When times are tighter, there's less bandwidth for things that really don't work, and you might have to get rid of them in a sense. The same thing goes for thinking about the customers and clients that you serve. Which clients do you really want to work with in the future. Clients that you enjoy working with, clients that are easy to work with, those who like and love and appreciate your products and services, the ones you have good relationships with. So that even if something isn't perfect or something goes sour, you're able to have the right conversations to turn things around. And then on the flip side, you also want to ask which clients are a pain They're nickeling and diming you for everything. They're making unnecessary changes that cost you money. And they refuse to take responsibility for those changes or for their errors. And they expect you to eat the cost and to absorb all the loss associated with actions that really they are taking. So those are the kind of customers in a tight economy Sometimes you just have to cut them off the bottom and say, you know, there's better business elsewhere. This business costs me too much to maintain, too much to procure, and it takes really valuable resources away from some other things that we do well or some other clients who we could serve at a higher level. So sometimes there are customers you really do just have to get rid of. So you want to think about that. You also want to think about the sweet spot, which is the spot where the products and services that you want to continue are the ones you're good at. They're also the ones that your customers and clients want and that they are willing to pay for. That's an important point. So you're looking for services you want to produce products you want to produce, what you're good at, what's high value to your clients, 
they're willing to pay for that service. And as you think about future times, there may be some products and services that your clients are willing to pay for today that they might not be willing to pay for tomorrow. So also ask yourself, what's going to be most valuable to them tomorrow, not just today? So you want that sweet spot where all of that works together. You also want to ask yourself questions such as, how can we as a business increase our efficiencies? How can we remove waste in the business? And some companies have waste because they're not paying a lot of attention. They're having to redo, rework things. They're making a lot of errors and mistakes, which are really preventable. They're unnecessary. You know, sometimes if you're learning something for the first time, you're doing something new you've never done before, that could be a mistake because you're learning. That's a place of learning. But once you've experienced it and you've stepped on that square before, as we say, and made that error or mistake in the past, you don't want to keep making that same mistake or keep making that same error because every time you step on that, it's costing you money. And that's money that could be in your business. That's time that you could recoup back for your business. And when you're going into a season where it could be lean out there, you don't want to be losing those kinds of resources unnecessarily. So look at where you can increase efficiencies and where you can cut back on waste and costs that are unnecessary in that sense. Also ask, how can you use technology or automation to improve operations. It may be that there's a particular machine that if you had that in your business, it would reduce labor intensity for those people who are in your manufacturing plant. It would cause them to be able to do jobs faster, maybe even more accurately, And that allows them to have more time to move on to something else. In the long run, that kind of technology saves you money. So you want to be looking for those sorts of opportunities. And as far as automation, when you have people in the workplace, and maybe they're very skilled labor because of the kind of work that you do, you don't want them doing monotonous, boring tasks that a machine could do. You want their hands and brains and minds focused on the skilled work that you've hired them to do. So it would be kind of like having a laundry service in today's time, and you've got people back there on washboards washing clothes. That might not be the most efficient use of their time. If you brought in some washing machines that were automatic, it would save time and get the job done. You could do even more jobs for more clients and be more profitable. So you want to think that way. What is the automation that we can have to reduce the repetitive, boring jobs and save our talent really for the skills that they've developed and that we've hired them for? So you want to think about that mix. You also want to think about what is the training that would be helpful to your people, for example, when we talk about increasing efficiencies, reducing mistakes, reducing rework. It could be that there's a training deficit. People need some more understanding of how things work or how to more reliably 
get the job done well. You want to study your processes. There may be some improvements that you could put into how you're going about your work at this time. You also want to ask, what are some of the incentives that we could put in place so that people want to be more profitable by reducing unnecessary errors and mistakes? If a unit is saving several million dollars or multi-million dollars if you're a much bigger business, it's worth it for you to do something special for them for doubling down on that cost savings. So think about the incentives. And you may have to consult with the unit and say, look, we want to become more efficient. We believe there's about $10 million worth of, of efficiency here that we could recoup. And then you talk together about if they are able to do that, or rather, I should say, when they accomplish and achieve it, what will be the benefit for them? What will be the incentive that you're willing to invest? And think about it this way. Even if you spent a million dollars on the incentive, you have still saved $9 million that you wouldn't have had before had that team not been working so diligently to recoup those losses due to mistakes and due to rework. So definitely think about that, the incentive aspect. The second area where you will do an assessment is really to discover how to best serve your ideal customers. So this is a bit more of an external analysis or an external assessment. In the first case, you're looking inside about your own business and what you're doing and what you want to do and what you're good at. Now you're looking at what is it that the customer wants. And I would say this, this is not a conversation that you go to the boardroom to have amongst yourselves and leave it at that. Yes, you can have some conversations amongst yourselves because you've all been talking to the customers. You've been learning things along the way, and you can share collectively what you've been hearing and what you've been learning. Bottom line, though, you must have conversations with your ideal customers to learn a little bit about what products and services do they want now do they want in the future? And do they anticipate a greater or lesser need for under certain market conditions? So you want to already be thinking about that in a proactive way, having those conversations. You also want to find out what do they most appreciate from you? What do they want? And maybe that they're not getting from you or other providers. Whatever it is they most appreciate about you and what you do, you want to continue doing that. So maybe you have a complicated product and when it's delivered to your client, you sit down with them and you have the technician there, you go over how to use it. Maybe you have a 1-800 telephone number that's a 24-hour line for customer support, and that's what your customers really appreciate about your product. There may be other organizations, other companies that produce the same product you produce, but they don't have the wraparound service that goes with it. They don't have the technician that comes and sets it up and tells the client all about it. They don't have the 1-800 number and line. So ask your customers how they perceive what you have in place 
what they most appreciate and what do they wish you had that you're not already offering because that's your opportunity when times are lean and you're able to provide something for the customer they really, really want. They're not getting it anywhere else and they're not getting it from you. When times are tough, you are more likely to stay on their list of preferred partners as opposed to a company that's not providing what they really want. So definitely think about that. Definitely think about what they've been telling you and what they've been complaining about, even if you haven't been asking about it, because those pieces of feedback, those could be your resources, if you will, for opportunity going forward in the future. So listen, ask questions, and pay attention to what's already been said. One other piece of this is think about how can you make it easier for a business to do business with you? Sometimes a company is real pleased with maybe a product or service that they're getting from you. However, it's just too hard to work through your maze of systems and red tape to get to that service. I remember some years ago, I was working for a company one time that everybody loved the service of this company, but they did not like the internal maze they had to go through to get the service. And so initially they'd be so pleased and they'd want to sign up and do something again. And it became onerous. So some customers were lost to other people in the marketplace who were just easier to do business with. I think about this also in terms of myself sometimes as a customer, as a consumer. And there are about three brands that I really like in the way of women's business clothing. One of those brands is a very high-end brand, and they like to do customized service. They like to figure out what it is that you prefer and try to send you advertisements related to those preferences. And they have a customized agent that they pair you with and so on and so forth. And I have given this organization feedback on numerous occasions about the kinds of clothing that I'm likely to buy and the ones I'm not likely to buy. Well, for example, in my case, I would say I'm going to wear dresses. I'm not going to wear pants. Those dresses need to be below the knee. Don't show me any dresses above the knee because I'm not going to purchase those. And so it's annoying to me if they're sending me items that I've already told them I'm not going to buy. Or let's say it's a matter of fabric. Some fabrics I don't like. I don't care how beautiful, how wonderful the item is. I'm not buying that particular fabric. So when you send me an advertisement, tell me what the fabric is. Also tell me how much the item cost because that is going to figure somewhat into my decision as well. There are a lot of variables. Now, if they leave out any of that information, this makes my buying decision much more challenging. Now, I have to do work to purchase from that company, and I don't have time to do a whole lot of work to purchase from them when I'm trying to do my own business. So the point is, if you want a good customer who's already buying from you to continue buying from you, make the buying process user-friendly, customer-friendly, easier to access. 
So if my agent sends me, let's say, photographs of something that they think I would like, and they send the fabric information, I can see if it's above or below the knee and the price. I can make a buying decision right then and there without having to ask any more questions or waste time looking for information. So you want to find in your business, what are those little things that are extras that you can do that facilitate the business of preferred clients who want to do business with you and you want to do business with them and who might do less business with you because you're making it too hard to engage the business and get it done easily. And they're busy people. They don't have time to go through your maze and obstacle course unnecessarily. So definitely think about that. You may have some convoluted systems that you can make more user-friendly. Then the third category I would say is to think about what financial or business management strategies that you can leverage for this time. So one of the big pieces about this is people need financial data in order to make the best decisions. So if you're at the top of the organization, think about what those subordinate units are also going to need in the way of business metrics and financial data. And as I said earlier, they may assume that something is profitable and until they see the numbers, they'll be shocked to know it's not as profitable as they thought it was. And this is particularly important for businesses that have really thin margins. So you really want to be paying attention to what the metrics and what the numbers say because you're going to make decisions based on that. The other thing you might want to investigate is how to buy some things now when the prices may be lower than what they will be in the future. And if you're in a kind of business where what you need to purchase and what you need to have on the shelves is small enough that you really can buy in bulk and you have the storage room and you can store it on your shelves, then wonderful, you have an advantage in that sense. I know some of my clients are not in that situation. Some of what they have to order is really big and it takes up a lot of space. It's cumbersome. They don't have the space to store all of those items. And if they had to rent space or procure space, that's another expense, which in the end might erode any profitability. So when you're in a situation like that, sometimes you have to have arrangements with your suppliers where you'll buy something now at a lower price. However, you don't take delivery of it until much later when you need it. So the supplier gets money up front, which is helpful to them and their business and cash flow, and they're storing it for you. And that's a cost you don't have to incur. You're purchasing it at today's prices, which may be lower, and you get to receive it later when you need it for the manufacturing process that you're going through. So you want to think creatively and how can you partner with people to create win-wins for them and win-wins for you about doing business a little differently than maybe how you've done it in the past. You also just want to use this general concept of partnering to think about 
What else can you do to partner with clients, customers, vendors, and suppliers to come up with some unique agreements that are, again, mutually beneficial? Might not be the way you've done business in the past, although it could be something that is useful for the way you'll do business going forward and in the future. So think win-win. It's not just about what you want and what would make your business easier. Hopefully, you're finding something that would also be useful and beneficial to the supplier, the vendor, the client, and the customer as well. Just in review, I would say you're doing an internal audit of yourselves to understand what you're great at. You're also doing an external audit to see what your customers need now, what they're going to need in the future, what they want that they don't have, and opportunities for service or products that maybe you haven't stepped up to in the past, and you're wanting to make it easy to do business with you, remove those obstacles and mazes and so on. And then thirdly, look at some of the financial aspects and management strategies for partnership that can also bring you benefit in the future and going forward. So some general principles that I would highlight are these. Number one, you want to leverage what I call creative advantage. Now, I know that in business, we often talk about competitive advantage, and we talk about being able to be in a position different from where your competitor is, have a leg up, and so on. I like to talk more about creative advantage, because when you are doing what you do best, and sometimes what only you can do, when you're doing those things that you're most gifted at doing, no one can touch you. You already have creative advantage because you are uniquely producing what only you can do and that somebody else out there wants and values. And that's where you want to be. You want to be producing those things that you do well, that somebody wants, somebody's going to buy, and that would be difficult for your competitors to copy because they have their own gifts. They have their own strengths, not the same as what yours are. So if they're trying to copy you, that's going to be a whole lot more work for them because that may not be their gift mix. And the more that you are able to do something that is what you want to do, that's desired in the marketplace, and it's hard for others to do, now you really have creative advantage. Now you're really in the sweet spot. So leverage creative advantage and definitely find that sweet spot that we've been talking about that something easy for you to do, hard for others to do and to copy and that your clients want and will pay for. Number three in this is plan for success. You want to focus your scenario planning on success because you get what you plan for. So if you plan for failure, if you plan for shrinkage, you're going to get failure and shrinkage. And just because there may be a recession out there doesn't mean that you have to have a shrinkage at your company. Because if you do these levels of analyses that I'm talking about and you do them well, you will have creative advantage. You will identify 
the opportunities for this time period. So plan for success. This is not a plan for failure. It's planning for success. So for example, you would not want to let go of half of your workforce now in anticipation of a recession that you don't even know if it's coming. You don't know if it's going to affect your industry. You don't know if you're going to need those people because maybe you will have an opportunity that someone doesn't have and you'll need those people. And if you cut the people now, you cut yourself out of that future opportunity because you no longer have capacity. So don't cut too soon before you know what you're really going to be able to do. So then fourthly, I would say cultivate the mindset of opportunity. If you cultivate the mindset of lack or restriction, you will see kind of like tunnel vision right in front of you and you won't see all of the opportunities out there in the periphery on the left and on the right of you that you could have leveraged and taken advantage of because you're so focused on lack and restriction. That's all you see. So I'm encouraging you cultivate the mindset of opportunity. And that way you will see the opportunity that's out there. And I would say this, though these ideas are common sense, most businesses won't implement them because common sense is not common practice. There will be many people who listen to this podcast and they will not implement anything that I'm talking about. You, on the other hand, in your business, if you listen and implement what I'm talking about, you will be far ahead of those others out there who are sitting on the railroad tracks waiting for the train to come and run over them. This is no time to be sitting on the railroad tracks. This is the time to be proactive and figure out how you're going to use those tracks to get to where you want to go. So no sitting on the railroad tracks. Devise devices that are going to work on the railroad tracks. That's what we're talking about today. So definitely plan for success. So I want to end today's segment with some readings from Ecclesiastes, the 11th chapter. First, we'll read the first two verses, which says, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a serving to seven and also to eight, for you do not know what evil will be on the earth. So let me stop there and simply say, this is really talking about don't put all of your eggs in one basket. You're spreading some things around in a strategic way because you've done your homework because it is going to come back and produce an increase for you later if you have scattered appropriately. Just the way the farmer scatters the seed in such a way that the crop grows. So that's really what we're talking about. And then we'll turn down to verses five through seven, which say, as you do not know what is the way of the wind or how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child, so you do not know the works of God who makes everything. In the morning, sow your seed, and in the evening, do not withhold your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, either this or that. 
or whether both alike will be good. Truly, the light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to behold the sun. So again, have a number of strategically planned crops. So if one doesn't come up as quickly, or maybe that crop fails, you've got another crop that's over here as well. And at the same time, you don't want to be wasteful and plant a crop that doesn't grow in your area or in the type of soil that you have or where you do not have expertise. This is not the time for those kinds of experiments, yet it is the time to sow the seed in multiple places so you can reap the fullest harvest that's possible for the times that we're living in or may be living in in the future. So again, I encourage you, do your scenario planning, plan for success, and guess what? You will get it. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening. And remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources.